person that I really chose to, to speak about tonight is someone that I've fallen in love with in my prayer time. And um, it's someone that the Lord has brought me back and time and time again. And it is a, a man in the Bible. The book of the Bible is not written about him. We always go on about Esther, but I want to talk tonight about Mordecai. And um, I'm not going to go in total in depth of the story. I'm just going to kind of give you guys a quick um, overview because I want us to do an exercise at the end and um, to give people a chance to share about who has championed them, who has been there for them that's caused them to be able to arise and to stay the course, for, you know, for the Lord and, and pursuing the Lord. Um, but I love Mordecai and I feel like this sense of camaraderie with him because of him taking in a child. And because that he adopted Esther when, when she was little, both her mother and father were, were dead and she was orphaned. And he takes her in. And um, one time when I was praying, the Lord's taught me so much through, through my children. And um, one time I was praying, probably out of frustration, and I was saying, Lord, I do not know what to do. I don't understand these kids' natures. They're not my nature. You know, like my older kids, they have the similar nature of either one of us. You can kind of, you know, like figure things out. And I was just praying, kind of having a little pity party, driving down 41, and the Lord said, you all have different nature. All of my kids have different natures but we're not supposed to be of our own nature, but we are to have a new nature. We put that nature on. And so he kind of corrected me. But what I wanted to express is that Mordecai was a loving, loving man because I don't read anywhere where it talks about his wife or that there is about a woman helping him and doing the work, the day-to-day -day stuff, but it just always talks about Mordecai. So I know he was a loving, loving man. And he was, um, but in Psalms 82, it says, you don't even have to turn there because I actually, like, learn so much on the computer because, like, I read on Gateway Bible a lot so I don't have to get glasses. But, like, to actually type a Word document and know how to, like, pull stuff back and forth, I got the, he helped me, and I did that. So I was, like, really proud of myself because <laughs> usually you'd be on big yellow notepad. But um, in uh, Psalms 82, verse 3, it says, Defend the poor and the fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and the needy. And so he, he was doing that. And that's my heart, that even sometimes kids grow up with parents, and sometimes they're still orphans. Because if they don't have a spiritual covering over them, they're still spiritually orphaned. And, um, but Mordecai was a trustworthy man. He raised Esther in such a way that she trusted and obeyed his voice. When he, when he told her, he didn't tell her to lie and not reveal her heritage. He just told her, don't, don't speak of it. Don't say. And she trusted his wisdom enough to not speak of it, to not mention it. And then she rises in the, in the and she gets chosen, and she's, she's right in the thick of things in the palace. And um, in Esther 2, verse 21, it says, In those days... While Mordecai was sat at the king's gate, two of king, the king's eunuchs, Bigthan and Teresh. Now, you guys, I'm like having, I'm very ADD, like with trying to pronounce things because I would be like, whatever, I'll just make that a ghetto name or something. <laughs> just make it, but my mom is here, so I'm trying to do good. <laughs> but Bigthan and Teresh were doorkeepers, and they became furious and sought to lay hands on the king 
Assyrius. Close enough. So, matter, uh, so the matter became known to Mordecai because he was a good man. He goes and he, I'm going to just paraphrase, and he goes and he tells, gets word to Esther that they're plotting to take out the king. And so Esther goes, she tells, and they do this whole investigation and they find out it's true. There's an assassination attempt going towards this king. And so they actually hang these men from the gallows. And I did a little bit of research on this. And actually, I was thinking of gallows, like in Western movies, were like hang news. It actually were like these huge poles. And they actually like, I think they were like 75 feet up in the air. And they actually like, and like they sharpened them and they like threw them. So they were up high where everyone could see. So it wasn't really like the gallows, like what we would think like a hang news, which I thought was kind of interesting because that's even more gross. <laughs> but anyway, so when Mordecai tells and protects the king, you'd think, okay, they're going to have like a, you know, royal feast for him and roll, you know, roll out the red carpet, but they don't. He continues just to serve where he's been serving. He's not offended. And that's something that really, really stood out to me because a lot of times when we do good things and somebody does not notice and does not come up and go like, hey, good job, you know, I like how you're doing that, that all of a sudden we can get an offense on us. And we're, we know we're not supposed to be offended, but we still struggle with it. And I, I've always thought back of this one example. When I was, I think, about 18 years old, I went to church in San Leandro, and it's like in this little um, neighborhood. There wasn't even parking, and I walked across the street on East 14th Street, which is like borderline to Oakland, and I would go to work at um, Bayfair Mall. And one day we had this big function, and we were feeding the church, and we were raising money for whatever thing for the youth. And... Um, we had served and worked, and all of a sudden, I'm in the kitchen, I'm cleaning, and all of a sudden, I realized, like, I'm the only one here. Like, I'm washing all these dishes by myself, and, like, everybody had left. And I started getting an attitude. I'm like, wow, I can't believe that. You know, I have to still go to work and everything. And all of a sudden, the Lord said, are you going to let that stop you? Are you going to let that? Are you going to grab hold of that? And then I said, no, Lord, because I had had that pounding to me that whatsoever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord, that you're, you're, you're looking for his smile not the good job. But anyway, so he was not um, easily offended. He did not seek recognition, and he did not even receive a promotion. But he was a faithful man, and he continued to serve. And then some years later, we read in chapter 3 that a man named Haman um, was promoted in the king's court to, uh, to a place of influence. The king was quite taken with him because he really bent over backwards to like do whatever he wanted and, and gave him so much honor that he actually passed laws that you must honor him when you see him. You must bow down. You must, you know, give him reverence. And um, so when, when Haman walked by, Mordecai was like, I am not bowing down because he was a Jew. And it reminded me of just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, how they would not bow down and how they were thrown into the fiery furnace, but he would not bow down to him. And even the, the men that were with him, the Bible says that they began to tell him, like, you need to start giving him his, his rightful thing that the king's insisting. It's not like you just saying, oh, you know, he's a good man. You're, you don't have to say this. You're ordered to do that, and he would not. And um, when, uh, when, when Mordecai, when Haman actually realizes that this is being pointed out to him, that he's not giving him the respect 
And he finds out, because Mordecai tells him, I'm a Jew, I'm not bowing down. When, when um, Haman finds this out, he hates everything inside of him because he had been, it had been, hatred had been cultivated in him. It's just like all the stuff that's going on in the news right now with, you know, Black Lives Matter, White Lives Matter. It's like all lives matter. I saw a little thing on Facebook where it showed a biracial couple and said, okay, my mom is white and my dad is black. Like, you know, how do you, how do you, you know, decide what part of their life is important? But, um, Anyway, so Haman was so furious that he decides he's going to pull a fast one. He's not going to just punish Mordecai, but his intent is literally to annihilate every Jew. And um, he thinks he's really sneaky, and he goes into the king, and the king actually, you know, makes this decree where that every Jew will be killed. But what I found, which I thought this was really, really cool— that Haman actually is a descendant from the King Agag, or that from the Amalekites. And I read in First um, Samuel chapter fifteen and verse two. As a matter of fact, I will read it to you. First Samuel fifteen, and I, I want to try to put these glasses on. He says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and attack Amalek but just, and, and utterly destroy all they have and do not spare them, but kill man, woman, infant, and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. And then if you go down to verse 8, um, he, uh, Samuel realizes that when Saul comes back, he, he obeyed partially. And you know, a lot of times when we obey partially, that is, that is, it's disobedience. It's like you have to, when the Lord gives you a specific instruction, it's not just so you can, it's not an option. It's a direct, it's a, it's a command. And, um, but if you go down to verse 8, um, it says, oh, in verse 7 it says, And Saul attacked the Amalekites, from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. He also took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people and the edge of the sword. And what, what the Lord was really showing me in this is that when the Lord tells you to utterly destroy something and you play with it, that it's going to come back and it is going to be... A, and, and when I was praying even in this early afternoon, it's a tormenting. It's that the things you tolerate will begin to torment. And it doesn't just torment you. It doesn't just continue to overtake you. But it also is, because here we're talking generations later, and they're still wanting to annihilate the Jews because of this hatred. And, and the Lord just wanted me to really express it to you guys, that when, especially when you're raising children or you have grandchildren, if you don't put to death things that are sin in your life in little areas where you're willing to compromise, your kids are going to run with that. But you, it's literally like creating a struggle for them that does not need to be there. Because I think kids, they grow up with that sense of safety when there's def, definite boundaries and they know, okay, this is okay, this is not okay. But the minute they put their foot over that line, you, you got to be on them. And that's the same thing with, with sin. It's like you don't play on the line because eventually you'll go over. 
Haman began to look for every way to destroy all of the Jews, not just Mordecai. He had that same spirit of hatred that, uh, that the Jews had as his, and his ancestors. He really wanted to annihilate all of the Jews. In Esther 3.13, it says, And the letters were sent by couriers into all the king's provinces to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate the Jews, both young and old, little children, women, in the day on the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, hopefully I'm saying that right, and to plunder their possessions. A copy of the document was to be issued as law in every province being published for all people that they would be ready for that day. But anyway, so all of this is going on, all of this plotting, all this evil, and Mordecai hears about it. And he goes and he covers himself sackcloth and when you're when you would have sackcloth on you would not get to go in to where the king was or into the the king's courts but he began to lay out there and it talks about um that esther you know because early on in the story it talks about even when she was taken in that he would walk every day and he would check on her and i think so many times even when we have grown kids or we have grandchildren that we need to take that same stance in the spirit, that we have to continually go before the Father, continually check on them. Not going like, what's, what's going on in your life? What's in your, in their business? But you go before the Lord and you intercede for them. And that's what he did. He continually was checking on her and watching. And, um, but anyway, so Esther knows he's out there. That she understands what the, what the sackcloth is. And she goes and she sends word to him, like, you know, what's going on? And um, he sends word back to her. Um, but one thing I want to point out here, we've always talked about, when we hear the story of Esther, and we always go like, for such a time as this, almost like if she proclaimed it herself, like, I'm born for, this is what I was born to do, you know, like being in the palace and stuff like that. But what I love about this is because of the relationship that had been cultivated between them and that trust that they had, that she knew he had her best interest at heart. That no matter what, he loved her, he guarded over her, he protected her, he, he trained her, he disciplined her, he taught her the ways of God. And, um, but he sends word back to her. In verse 14, it says, he tells her, or yeah, actually starting in 13, Mordecai sends the answer to Esther and he says, Do not think in your own heart that you will escape the king's palace any more than any other Jew. Because sometimes we think, I can do this sin. I can cross over the line. I can compromise in this area, and it will not take me down. Because I just know. I know when to pull back in. I know when enough is enough, and all, this, all of a sudden I'll just draw back into God. But it does not work that way. And but he, he sends word to her, and then he says, For if you remain completely silent at this time, and this is what I really liked about him. His hope was not in her. He wasn't looking to her for the answer. Because he says, For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. That's confidence in God. Because so many times when we're struggling, say like as an example, like when a wife is struggling, she looks at her husband and she's like, you got to fix this for me. 
you got to help me. Like, I've got an issue. And my husband would say, get a tissue. <laughs> no, but, but you can't look to that person. You, gotta, you have to look to God because, because he's just a man and, and, or it's just a woman. But if you look to God, he's going to see you through. Um, but he says, <clears throat> for a deliverer will rise from another place, but, if you, but you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have to come, whether, he says, yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. He actually is the one that's proclaiming the word of the Lord over her. And I just, when I really got hold of that, I thought, that's good. You know, and, and I'm not trying to take everything back to parenting, but it's like, sometimes with your kids, you have to be bold to say. I tell my kids, this sounds bad, but sometimes I tell my kids, like, if something really good happens to them, it's like, you, give, you always give glory and honor to God. Because, and I've told, like, when Rachel was little and she was getting involved in a lot of stuff, I always told, there's always going to be someone that's more talented, more beautiful, smarter. There's always someone that's going to be better. But when you know that your heart is fully surrendered to God and whatever you're doing, you're doing it as unto him, and your whole life is worship unto God, that, that's right there is the key. But he tells her, yet who knows whether you have come into the kingdom for such a time as this. And at that moment, Esther had a decision to make. Because she could have shrunk back and thought, you know, I am his favorite. I've been told I'm beautiful my whole life. And I am the queen. That she would have some special, you know, recognition or special place. But she didn't. She chose a hard road. And she begins to, to know, if I just go in there and I run into the king without being summoned, that I can be put to death. And so she has to, to get a, a plan and an understanding of the time and the season that she's in. But when she finally does, she plans this whole feast, and she gets, a, she gets pulled in there, and he, he asks her, you know, you can have anything up to half the kingdom, you know, and stuff. And, and she actually pleads for her own life and the life of her people. And I'm sure at that moment that the king was like, wow, <laughs> you know, I've almost been assassinated. Now I'm like, fell for this really bad guy, and like totally gave him you know, a special ring and acknowledgement and stuff. And nothing has been good in his heart. The king did not have a whole lot of discernment at all. But, um... He can't change what is, what's, and, and sometimes you can't. When you set certain things in motion, you have to walk it out. Like, people go like, well, I'm totally, like, strung out on drugs. I just want to be delivered. It's like, really? Really? You just want God to, bam, give you a miracle? And God can do that, but sometimes it's about us disciplining our flesh and changing what we're thinking, and we have to walk things out. And, and I. It's even like with your finances. Sometimes it takes a long time to turn things around. But so the king decides they, they're going to set another plan in motion. And that the Jews are going to, they're given permission to defend themselves on the day that they would have been massacred. And um, I, thought, I thought that was pretty awesome, but I'm going to just read to you really quick. Uh, oh, and then Haman... <clears throat> is actually, he had built gallows to kill Mordecai for not coming under his thumb and bowing his knee, and actually, um, Haman's actually put to death by his own device, 
that what he plotted for evil was turned back against him. And that's actually, that's good scripture. And, <clears throat> and Esther was given everything that was Haman's house. But, um, but anyway, I'm going to just read to you briefly. If I can. By these, in Esther 8, 11, it says, By these letters the king permitted the Jews who were in every city to gather together and to protect their lives, to destroy, kill, and annihilate all the forces of any people or province that would assault them, both little children and women, and to plunder their possessions. And you know, the Lord gives us that same authority today. We can kill... And anything the enemy has come in and he has stolen from us, we can go get it back. It's ours. That's our and our authority. We're under that. And, um, and even your children have the authority to go and to take back the things that the enemy has stolen. Esther 8, 15, it says, Then Mordecai went out from the presence of the king, royal robes of blue and white, with great golden crown, with a great golden crown, and a robe of fine linen and purple, and sat in, and the city of Susa shouted and rejoiced. The Jews had light and gladness and joy and honor. And in every province and in every city, wherever the king's command and his decree reached, there was gladness and joy among the Jews. A feast and a holiday. And many from, of, and many from the peoples of the country declared themselves Jews. This is amazing. They had major, like, conversions. And many of the peoples of the country declared themselves Jews, for the fear of the Jews had fallen on them. See how when you, when you surrender your life to God, he literally can just change things. And all of a sudden, the things that you feared, when you got up in the morning like, oh, no, what if I have this happen? Or, or what if I don't have enough money? Or what if I, you know, my husband's doing this? Or what if my kids are doing that? All of a sudden... When you come in right relationship with the Lord, all of that changes. And you get up and you're like, I take authority over these places of darkness in my family's life where the enemy has tried to come in and plunder and to steal and to kill. No more. And you begin to draw a line. I always see Rhonda that way. It's like drawing a line. No. No more. You're not having any of my kids. No more. And we have to take that stance. But I love that. It's like, I'm, gonna, I'm a Jew now. Can't beat him, join him kind of thing. <laughs> but in Esther 9, it says, On the day that the enemies of the Jews had hoped to overpower them, the opposite occurred, in, the, in that the Jews themselves overpowered those who hated them, and no one could withstand them, because of the fear of them fell upon all people. And all of the officials of the provinces, the satraps and the governors, and all those doing the king's work, all of those doing the king's work, which I thought was really cool, Help the Jews because of the fear of Mordecai fell upon them. For Mordecai was great in the king's palace, and his fame spread throughout all the provinces. For this man Mordecai became increasingly prominent. Thus the Jews defeated all of their enemies with a stroke of the sword, with slaughter and destruction, and did what they pleased with those who hated them. I think that's pretty awesome. And you think, I don't hear a lot of sermons about Mordecai. I'm like, I'm now, I'm going to like, be looking them all up. And um, when I see the life of Mordecai, this is what makes him stand out to me as a champion. He was a loving man. He was a trustworthy man. He was a faithful man. And he was a humble man. 
Mordecai was a humble and modest man. He was not ambitious for the palace, for a place in the king's court. Many of men would have announced to everyone that his cousin that he had raised, loved, and cared for was Queen Esther. They would have, whoop, that's called like name dropping. I'm going to use this because I'm going to make a way for myself. But the Lord is the one who always makes a way for us. They would have used the relationship to gain position and power. And we can live our life to try and make a name for ourselves or to attain some sense of status. We are not supposed to build our treasure here on earth because we are not our own. We have been bought with a price. And Mordecai always worked for the good of God's people. And he prevented the annihilation of God's people. And as I prayed over this, I thought, to be a champion in God's kingdom, we must stay the course. Key. We must be found faithful, but consistency is always the key. And we must be obedient in all things so we could be like Mordecai to those that are around us. That when we say something to someone, that they know they can take your word to the bank because you have their best interest in your heart and the Lord's best interest for them. But to have that confidence and and when we're raising kids or when we're touching lives, when we're touching people that have that orphan spirit because they don't have any spiritual heritage. Because I know a lot of times people, even like, like first generation of believers, they're like, well, I'm not going to do anything great because we're like first generation, you know. It's like we're not very strong. Because I believe that God does work generationally. But the thing is you literally are turning the, the, the tide for your family. And that's where you begin to teach us, like, we're, we're, uh-uh, we're not going back. That God hasn't brought us out this far just to leave us, but he's brought us out to, to, to bring us into his presence and in his righteousness and in his abundance. Who's phone? It's Jesus calling. But anyway, <clears throat> um, <laughs> tell him what you want. <laughs> But what I wanted us to take opportunity to do, and I actually didn't think there was going to be this many people here tonight, but I wanted if somebody had a quick story to share about someone in your life that has been a champion for you, where you've been able to come up under what they say or what they've done or an an action. And sometimes it can be something really, really small. But I'm just going to share. For me, if I had to pick a champion in my life, of course it would be my mom because she's the one who pointed my feet towards Jesus, and, but, but my husband, because I didn't really have, like, a frame of reference to know, like, what is a godly dad supposed to look like, or a godly husband, and, which we just had this discussion, like, a week ago, but when you have areas of brokenness in your life, that when you can look to somebody, and you're like, okay, I, my thinking might be a little bit tweaked in this area, but when I look to him, that I know he's not, he doesn't have that view that he's seeing things accurately and when he's when he's speaking or when he's doing certain things that it's from a place of love and and not a place of hurt but I think in watching that that that's been a champion to me because most little girls are like oh I have my dad like he's my hero and it's like I didn't have that experience and and I've like thought that's really it's sad but it's true that I've got to experience it now and that's made him a champion to me